Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 329. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series, we are joined today by two of the most trusted, respected names in news, Steve and Cokie Roberts. If you want to find out how Washington really works, you can poll all the newspaper and network reporters on the Hill and the White House, or you can spend some time with Steve and Cokie Roberts. That's what we are going to do today in just a moment. Steve and Cokie Roberts as Washington veterans have seen it all. Cokie Roberts, political commentator for ABC News and a senior news analyst for the National Public Radio, has spent more than 40 years in broadcasting. In 2008, the Library of Congress named her a living legend. Steve Roberts has been a journalist for almost 50 years, covering some of the major events of his time, from the anti-war movement and student revolts of the 60s and 70s, to President Reagan's historic trip to Moscow in 1988 and 12 presidential election campaigns. Of course, we are talking news today, and honestly, nothing is more important. I must tell you that citizen access to trusted, quality, and locally relevant news and information is crucial to an open and honest government and our way of life. So please join me in welcoming to the Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series via internet phone, Steve and Cokie Roberts. Stephen Cokie Roberts, welcome to the program. Happy to be here, Paul. Thank you. Sorry that the phones aren't working. Uh, no, it, you sound great. Thanks so much for your time today. You know, it's always uh, great to talk to a husband and wife team. I, uh, <laughs> I sometimes get a chance to do this with, uh, with my own wife. It's nice to talk to you and Steve today. But I wonder if you'd tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Well, we're always thrilled to be at the Smithsonian. It's such an important institution uh, in the life of the city and the country. And uh, we will be there talking about journalism, uh, something we've both been doing for for a combined century. And uh, and so it is part of a series of of the Smithsonian talking to journalists in Washington, and we're thrilled to participate in it. Steve Roberts, today we seem to have a love-hate relationship with journalists. We have a president who seems to fall into the latter camp. He's really hard on the press. Should the press be so hard on him, and and, and why is that? Well, it's ex- the this president has changed the rules. Um, uh, he because he um, attacks the press so vigorously because he. Uh, fabricates so often and never corrects and never apologizes for his mistakes. And because he has his own network, he has the TBN, the Trump Broadcasting Network, millions of followers on um, social media posts. And so it's uh, it forces the mainstream press to be more aggressive in its fact-checking, more aggressive in holding him accountable but at the same time, it's very important that the press not cross a line into unfairness or partisanship or um, uh, we are not the enemy. He calls us the enemy. We are not the enemy. We are not the other side. Uh, we are not fighting back against the president. We're holding him accountable. Um, uh, but uh, because he uh, has decided to use us as such a foil and as such a uh, target of of his attacks, um, 
And this is not new, by the way. This has been happening for many years. Uh, conservatives have attacked uh, the press. Uh, but um, uh, we have to be very careful uh, uh, both to hold him accountable and yet not cross a line into unfairness. Koki Roberts, for you now, as just a very highly respected, award-winning reporter for NPR, ABC News, and, and many others, what is the state of women in journalism today? And and I guess personally, how do you stay so calm and unflappable amid all the chaos? <laughs> it's saying calm and, and unflappable is you know comes with age, and uh, <laughs> uh, so it's you've you've heard a lot of these things before and lived through it, so it's okay. But um, <laughs> but uh, the state of women in journalism today is considerably better than it's ever been. Uh, when I started out, uh, you were regularly told we don't hire women to do that, even though it became illegal. Uh, and uh, it was very difficult. You, As you moved up through the ranks, you were often the only, or almost always, the only woman there. And, and then when people finally started putting women on the air in situations like the Brinkley Show, they basically have their one woman, and that was it. Uh, so that's all changed dramatically. In fact, um, the last time I was on this week in the roundtable, it was all, it was one man uh, who felt a little beleaguered. But um, the fact is that uh, it is considerably better. But uh, there are still not enough women in the boardrooms and not enough women in the executive suites. And, of course, that's where the, the decisions get made. I should add, Paul, that uh, I teach journalism at George Washington University, and um, my classes these days are almost entirely women. I have a writing class, 18 students, 16 women. So uh, the future of women in journalism is very bright. You're a busy man teaching and uh, just this wonderful professional history in the media. I wonder if you'd tell us what, what are some of your most memorable moments from journalism over your career? Well, it really started very young. I was very fortunate um, as an undergraduate at Harvard in the early 60s. Um, it was the first uh, glimmerings of the civil rights movement of um, uh, anti-war uh, protests uh, and um, I started covering them as as a very young person, as an undergraduate, uh, and um, uh, and I got to know a lot of leaders of the, the political upheavals of the early '60s uh, because I had covered them so closely. And when I went to work for the New York Times, um, it was a huge story, both the political as well as the cultural upheavals that were roiling the country in the '60s. And frankly, the New York Times didn't have a clue because their political reporters were much older. They didn't understand what was happening. They had no contacts in the in the youth movement. Um, and I just was so fortunate to be there at the right time. I, I got sent out to cover the Chicago Convention in 1968, and they said, maybe you won't write a word, but we hear there might be some trouble at the Chicago convention. And of course, what happened happened. And I wound up writing front page stories every night, um, even though I wasn't even a, an official member of the national staff. So, and then in uh, uh, just a few months later, in the fall of 1968, the New York Times assigned me to be the bureau chief in California in Los Angeles, mainly because they basically looked around the newsroom and found the youngest 
person they could find. I was 25 years old, and they said, you, kid, go out to California. Tell us what the hell is going on out there. And uh, so uh, I was I was very fortunate to um, uh, be right on the cusp of this enormously important story, both politically and culturally. And uh, that certainly um, uh, helped make the early days of my career, but uh, I, I've been very lucky in many, in many other ways. Uh, not only a correspondent in California, then I got a chance to uh, go to Europe and be a correspondent in, in Greece. And three months after I got there, the uh, military government fell um, and uh, democracy returned to Greece after many years of military rule. And suddenly I was there in one of the biggest stories in the world. Um, uh, and <laughs> that pattern has kind of followed me. Um, but um, uh, the other thing that I would say about my life as a journalist is, in many ways, uh, my favorite stories were not the political stories at all. Um, uh, they were stories about people and their um, dramas and their life stories and the pressures and motives and, and heartbreaks um, and uh, uh the seven books that I've written, uh, none of them are about politics. They're all about people. Um, and I've always been particularly uh, compelled by stories of immigration. Um, my own grandparents were immigrants from Eastern Europe. I was very fortunate to grow up uh, in the same town with my grandparents uh, in New Jersey. Um, the entire community I, I lived with and, and uh, was nurtured by was a heavily immigrant community, and um, that's left me with a lifelong interest um, in immigration. Two of the books that I've written have been about immigration, and, the, and the, every story about immigration starts with an act of, an, of imagination, an act of courage, and I've always been compelled by those life stories. Um, they don't make a lot of news, but in the end, they're the most enduring stories I think I've ever written. I really like these stories of, of people, and I'm a, a grandson of, of immigrants myself. Your book, Immigrant Families in America, will be available for sale and signing at the Smithsonian Associates Program. This subject is very much in the news. So you're right at this very important point. Tell us a little bit about the book, Immigrant Families in America. Well, it's called From Every End of This Earth, and that actually is a quote from Barack Obama's inaugural address um, in which he, uh, I had written this book. It was inspired by students that I taught at George Washington University. I was, uh, I was teaching a course in feature writing, and these students were writing these wonderful tales of their own family histories and i realized they were these families were living the same story my family had lived just a hundred years later uh, but they weren't coming from the traditional sources of italy and ireland and russia where my grandparents were from they were coming from vietnam and they were coming from el salvador and they were coming from africa um, but they were the same great stories of courage and imagination and um, so that gave me the inspiration to write this book um, Several of the stories in the book are actually based on students I taught uh, um, and the uh, stories of their lives that uh, they that started life in my writing class. Um, and uh, I was uh, uh, finishing the book uh, at the time that Obama was inaugurated, but we didn't have a good title for the book. 
and I was working for ABC Radio that morning and listening to Obama's inaugural address in which he has this wonderfully evocative passage where he talks about the strength of America being its immigrant heritage. And, of course, he himself shared that, having a father who was an immigrant from Kenya. And... Um, and he talked about how um, immigrants came from every end of this earth to strengthen America every day. I literally picked up the phone and called my publisher and said, we have a title for the book. <laughs> the very morning of the inaugural address when I heard his inspiring words. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. We're with Koki Roberts and Steve Roberts. We are talking the fourth estate uh, regarding the upcoming presentation from Steve Roberts and Koki Roberts at the Smithsonian Associates April 2nd at the Ripley Center. Koki, of course, we've been talking to Steve a little bit about President Obama. I can't help but bring up politics for just a moment with you. Kids learn politics from their parents, often uh, ranting and raving about policy uh, or, or that politician out there. I wonder how you learned about politics and what was it like around your dinner table as a child? Maybe tell us some of the, your, your favorite moments from uh, uh, your, your own personal history about coming from such an astute political family. Um, well, I, I learned politics in the womb uh, <laughs> and uh, it really has never, I've never had a, a part of my life where it hasn't been uh, very important and, and I have no idea what it's like to live otherwise. So I don't really know uh, how other people grew up, but um, uh, of course, politics was very much part of the dinner table conversation, and um, it was it was just what we what we did. That's what we did as a family, and um, uh, so it was just very much uh, the part of the wolf and wharf of the of the of the existence. What do you suggest to families to bring up politics today in these family settings in order to have a good, positive discussion and conversation about the subjects of the day? Well, I don't think there's any problem with that. I mean, you, you can uh, easily just talk about what's in the news and, and, and discuss it as a family if that's something that seems appropriate, depending on the age level of the children, et cetera. But I don't think we should be shying away from talking about politics and public policy. And even if you've got a family that disagrees greatly, uh, you know, the uncle at the Thanksgiving table, um, you still you still can do it civilly if you if you want to. Uh, now, there's some people who don't want to. They just want to rant and rave and yell and scream and. And at that point, you just leave the room, I think. Well, Cookie Roberts, last question for you. We'll talk for a second more about journalism. Are you optimistic about the truth winning out in journalism, or do, or do these alternative facts always win? There's no such thing as an alternative fact. They're facts. <laughs> uh, and if they're, if they're not facts, they're not facts. But um, I, I have no... Uh, problem at all in, in being optimistic about the truth winning out. We see it every day, all the time. Uh, we see it with incredibly brave and courageous journalists all over the world, uh, risking their lives and losing their lives to tell the truth. And uh, it is something that is more required than it has been, I think, at almost any time in our history, that uh, that you have the people who are in the business of, of getting the facts out and getting them straight and, and making sure they're accurate and, and presenting them in a fair way, uh, that that is a very crucial role to be playing. 
uh, at a time when all kinds of information and misinformation is coming at you from all different directions, uh, to have to have truth tellers on the scene is terribly important. And I'm very I I don't have any pessimism about that whatsoever. Well, look, uh, the whole digital revolution uh, has had many enormously beneficial results. Um, fact is, when I got hired by the New York Times in 1964, virtually everybody looked like me, a white, straight male educated in an Ivy League school. It was a very, very limited view of the world. Uh, and uh, today, um, uh, the digital revolution has uh, broken the chokehold uh, of certain groups and certain uh, perspectives uh, in the mainstream media. And people have access to the information system with a laptop and a uh, and a good idea, doing a podcast, doing a blog, doing <laughs> all of the things that um, individuals, uh, this broadcast is, is a perfect example of it. Uh, this is an enormously healthy development where so many more voices, diverse voices, different perspectives, have access to the information uh, grid. The downside is that along with a lot of good information, there's a lot of bad information. Um, as people have access to this grid without editors, without filters, without systems of veracity, um, uh, that puts a much bigger burden on the consumer uh, to pick and choose uh, what she uh, is going to believe and what she is going to listen to. Um, and uh, so there is a downside, uh, but uh, on balance, uh, the diversity of voices is an enormously beneficial um, impact. And while you might not have individual editors uh, uh, at, at newspapers or news organizations, uh, uh, every, uh, every writer, every broadcaster has thousands of editors out there who are quick, quick to correct, quick to fact check, quick to dispute and debate. And so... You know, there are, um, uh, we've lost something uh, in, in, in this revolution, but we've gained something far more valuable and far more important and on balance. Um, the digital age has produced a far healthier news environment, uh, even with some of the drawbacks. Steve Roberts, Cokie Roberts, thanks so much for your time today. Delighted to be with you, Paul. Good talking with you, Paul. Thank you both. Remember, Steve and Cokie Roberts will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program April 2nd, 2019 at the Ripley Center. Thanks to Steve and Cokie Roberts for joining me today. And thanks to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. The Not Old Better Show. Talk about better. Thanks, everybody. And remember, Cokie and Steve's books will be available for sale and signing at the end of the event on April 2nd. So join me there. Thanks, everybody. And talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. <laughs> <laughs>